We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Yin's No Ball podcast. I'm John Ledyard, Brad Spielberger here with me, and we're going to get into the Steelers offensive side of the tape. But first, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it and you said, oh, I didn't tune into yesterday's, definitely feel free to jump back in and listen to yesterday's podcast. We talked a lot about the defensive side of the ball. The stars, kind of how they, the people who stood out, I guess, on the on the defensive side of the ball. And then I feel like those who are struggling, too. We talked a good bit about the secondary and what potential options could be there. Um, we talked about safety, how that could be a need for this team um, that comes up before that they address before the trade deadline. And we even threw out some names. Brad threw some names out about uh, that you can kind of have your eyes open for that could be options for the Steelers because it is that rough at safety right now. Um, we talked about Joey Porter Jr. a good bit, too. We talked about Keanu Benton and some of the bright spots on that defense, too. The linebackers playing well this season. And I uh, talked about that, an unfamiliar sight for Steelers fans. Um, so yesterday's podcast was a fun one. If you liked it and you listened to it and you've been listening to the podcast, please feel free to uh, stop right now and rate and review the podcast very quickly on whatever uh, platform you typically listen to your podcast on. We are, have been kind of loving seeing the reviews so far, first of all, and the ratings. And you guys have been unbelievable on all the platforms we've been on. Uh, please continue to do that if you haven't done that yet. And also share the podcast. Send it to somebody else you know. Typically, if you're a Steelers fan listening to this pod, Chances are you know somebody else who's a Steelers fan too that would be into this podcast. So send it their way and spread the word. We really rely on y'all. When we see the downloads go up, it's really because of y'all. Like we don't have that many platforms to get it out on after it's this thing has started. You know, once people know about it, they kind of know about it. It spreads through y'all continuing to share the podcast. So we appreciate y'all. Thanks so much for all you're doing on that front. Brad, you ready to talk a little Steelers offense? Let's do it. As ready as we ever are to talk about this side of the ball. We're going to talk about one of the most positive developments from Sunday's game, Brad. Let's talk about Broderick Jones. First NFL start. We talked about how rough the the, the when he came in for Dan Moore in, in week four. Um, it, it was definitely a very uneven, challenging performance for him, for sure. Baltimore, pretty decent front. Like, it's a good first test. It's not like Miles Garrett right out the gate, but it's a good first test. Lots of different types of rushers he faced and went up against. We'll talk about that. But definite signs of improvement from Broderick Jones, even from his first NFL action to his first NFL start this past Sunday. I was pretty excited to see how he played. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they did a couple of different things in the run game as well. And I think, honestly, in some respects, we'll get into it. I think he was a focal point or, or getting him involved at the point of attack or even creating cutback lanes that, from what I saw, weren't taken advantage of. But I think. Yeah, but the, the week before, Brad, if you remember, 
he was the reason they couldn't run on fourth down, fourth and short because he was in the game. So he could he couldn't be a strength in the run game now, could he? Could 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 that be the case? I think he could be. <laughs> I, I think there were a lot of positives in this game. I mean, I he was just dis- displacing Justin Metabike, displacing Michael Pierce, two pretty good interior defenders. He took Roquan Smith for a ride for like six yards on one play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the last thing was just like I think when they watch this film, they're gonna realize there are a couple snaps with pre-snap motion to the right, and they ran the ball to the right. And if that running back, and it was Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, if they looked to their left, they had a whole lot of room on a cutback lane because Broderick, one was a combo block with uh, Isaac Sumalo and another one by himself, I think it was the Matabike play. I mean, he was creating holes in, in this run game. I agree with you. Run game is where he really stood out. I, I'm impressed with some of the stuff in pass protection. I'll get to in a second. But he really stood out in the run game. He moves people just so much better than Dan Moore does. The difference is – obvious right away like this is we're talking about a guy who is very physical very aggressive and i think his techniques improved from college too from what we've seen so far like he would fall off blocks a lot in college and then he'd knock a guy out and then he'd fall off three blocks and it was like hard to get a baseline consistency i felt like he was pretty consistent in this game he is still going to maybe struggle to sustain blocks until he gets really technical if that's in the cards for him because technique is probably his biggest overall, like consistency of technique, I'd say is his biggest concern overall. When, when you watch him play one rep, it looks perfect. And then the next rep, he kind of could get by, but it's just his base is too wide. His hands are too wide. Like there's a lot of kind of, uh, we, this needs to be cleaned up, but honestly, like I said, the jumps he's taken, even from college to now, like as somebody, I studied his tape because remember at the time I was covering the bucks and the Steelers podcasting about both of them weekly. And so, I was watching both. He was an option for both those teams in the first round. So I watched his tape pretty closely in college. And it was the technical inconsistencies that I thought were going to be his biggest issue in the NFL, but in the run game. Yeah. Lots of whether it's inside zone or the double teams, those kind of things. You asked him to base block somebody or down block somebody like those consistently were really strong blocks for him on tape where he was actually able to generate movement. That's not really like he and Siamalu would be like the top two already on the Steelers. Like it's not going to be anybody else's game really on the Steelers offensive line. Uh, Chooks in space can maybe do some of those things, but none of those guys are going to really um, ground people to dust in the run game. So if the Steelers are committed to having this interior based run scheme where we will not step foot outside the tackles, which it sure seems like they are, Brad. It sure seems like it because this was a schematically and and from the backs, I thought a step back in the run game in some ways the other day uh, on Sunday, but for just Jones performance of isolating that I, it was hard to criticize much in the run game. He looked really good. Yeah, no, he really did. Yeah. Like you said, I think there were some technical components, but just his, his athleticism, his first step to be able to get a, get a push on a guy, uh, one hard step off, off the snap and be able to really start moving defenders off their point of attack or push them into a certain gap. They're not trying to cover um, was like I said, again, like stuff, Maybe we didn't see a ton of in college. It was more his ability in space. Obviously, against certain college players, he could kind of like bully guys around a little bit. But but yeah, I also think he did a very good job with his hands. We talked a lot about his hands getting right into a defender's chest and just driving forward, not relying on his athletic ability, but also trusting the technique and the process of the run blocking. Uh, it, it looked very encouraging. And that was the thing you hoped to see at least, right? At the very least, you hoped that he would be a difference maker in the run game when he got into NFL action. And I think he definitely checked that box in this game. Pass protection was the big question, right? At Georgia, this was all over the place. Sometimes he would just forget to use his hands completely. Guys would get into his pads, knock him back, bull rush him into the quarterback. The mental processing on certain reps and twists and stunts, we talked about that from last week even. 
uh, was a work in progress improved as the game went on last week. Like he was communicating and starting to see some things. Um, he could get beat inside. The thing that troubled me most about him is that there was nowhere for him to hang his hat on in college as a pass protector. He could get bull rushed. He could get beat inside. He could get beat outside. And all three happened with decent frequency on tape. So when that happens, that troubles me a good bit for pass protectors. Cause I, I, I think there's no starting point. There's no like strength to lean on while the rest develops. Um, and you could point to so many tackles really, you know, throughout the, in the NFL, like over the years that they've started at a certain point, And there was, there was a couple ways maybe to beat them, but like you couldn't beat them on their outside hip or you couldn't cross their face. Like they had a real strong inside hand, you know, once Jawan Taylor, for example, figured out like the pass set stuff. And I know all the controversy with that and everything, but like once he figured out to get out of his stance and you couldn't corner on him, like he still can get beat on inside moves for every once in a while, for sure. Like that's an opportunity to beat him, but he became like a star. Like, I mean, he's got paid, like he's a stud right tackle because he can do that. And it's not like all these guys can do everything perfectly, but they have one thing that can take away one option. And with Jones coming out of college, I didn't see that in his repertoire. Now watching him in the NFL, even preseason, and what we've seen through these last two weeks playing both these games, I am starting to wonder if he is so strong and is such a strong anchor that you might not be able to bull rush him. And if so, that's a good starting point because I know he has the range and athleticism where like you, you, he can, he can learn how to, with his explosiveness out of his stance, he can learn how to protect the edge, the inside moves. We'll talk about that. That's going to be probably the work in progress for him, I think, but I, I'm starting to see the building blocks of what could be a good player. He's not there yet for sure, but this game was a big step in the right direction, I thought. Yeah, and I think the bull rush point you made, something I thought stuck out at his Georgia tape was his feet were like so close together on some pass sets. And you'd be like, I don't care how strong you are, how good you are, how good your recovery footwork is. Like your feet aren't even shoulder width apart. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, like down, a th- you know, like a like a defender in a basketball game, but like, that I saw a lot of where his footwork was cleaner, but he was also just setting a better anchor because I think the, the again, the technique and the process and all those things, but just how wide his sets were not over, not oversetting or anything like that, but, but just like the ability to absorb contact and absorb speed and power rushers. Um, you know, it, it's going to be better if you're in a more advantageous position to do so. Um, and, and I think we saw a good bit of that in this game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I loved his mental processing against Twist in this game. And it was like the starting point for my criticisms of him last week. And I just think it's so cool, like how much he took the jump in that game. And then now in this game as well, some really good reps. I'm cutting him up and I'm going to do a YouTube video on him, I think. Um, maybe even tonight if I can get to it. Um, but I just think there's some really impressive stuff with his tape um, and the way that he's handling some of these twists up front. Um, that was so cool. They're, he's kind of learning what to see. Like, what are your tells, right? When you're looking for these twists when they're coming, sometimes it's alignment. If you've seen things on tape and you know, that part he would have to talk about, but with what he particularly sees in Baltimore, when they run those different stunts, I don't watch them every week. So I don't know for sure. But um, one of the things that was cool was when he sensed, one of the other tells is my guy's not coming hard. Like my guy's not trying to get around the edge, like on me, my guy's not attacking me right off the bat, like on the edge. So what is he doing? Is he waiting to loop back inside? If so, I need to look for this crasher from usually the three technique spot or the defensive tackle spot. And I need to be able to handle him and his ability to sense that immediately off the snap, get his eyes to the three technique, pick him up and communicate and stay on the same level as Siamalo while they passed off the looper, uh, the looping edge rusher that was looping back inside. It was so clean and so like sound. And then there's one play I loved. It was on the, it was actually on the, the, the whole shot by pick picket uh, to Pickens on the sideline where there he thinks because the guy he's blocking doesn't really, doesn't really flash hard. Like doesn't really come so hard uh, down him during the, on the pass rush rep. He's kind of just playing contain. He sees that and sees he, the, the, the edge rusher coming at him and the pass rush is kind of relaxed. He immediately gets his eyes to the three technique and he's like looking for this and it doesn't come. There's not a stun on that play, but he shoots his hand. He's got kind of the, he's got kind of locked out against the edge rusher. And then he's looking to see is somebody crashing like into my gap right now where I need to pass this off and it doesn't come and he's fine. And he stays there and he, and he makes a great block, but just like, again, he's on alert for those things. He's right to look for those signals. It didn't happen on that rep, but it was kind of a rep that looked the way it started. It looked like it could be setting up for a stunt the way the Ravens ran it. And instead it wasn't, but he, just to see, that he's going through those steps consistently. You can see his head movement, his eye movement, and the communication happening between he and Siamalu. I think the urgency with which he plays, period, is just an upgrade over Dan Moore. Like he just plays more aggressive and harder, faster, more explosive, all in everything that he does. There's losses. We'll talk about those in a second. But to me, like that quickness, the pace with which he plays, the urgency in the mental processing part of it, but also like the physicality, the one on one part of it, bodes really well for his future. Yeah, we talked before the game, you know, the Ravens are top 10 in stunt rate in the NFL, and they do a lot of different things. And even against good offensive lines, like, yes, it was Dorian Thompson-Robinson against Cleveland, but that is a good offensive line unit, particularly on the interior. And they won on a couple stunts uh, and, and twists and different things, playing games up front. The player you're mentioning, I, I wrote it down. It's late in the third quarter. Like you said, the whole shot to George Pickens. Not only does he look inside before he engages, 
He then gets his outside hand into the chest of his his rusher and looks back again just to make sure there isn't a game coming and then realize, okay, it's just, I'm just one-on-one out here. I'm on an island and then just completely shuts down the pass rusher. So it was like not only thinking of it pre-snap or right after the snap, but but like the wherewithal to like look back again just to make sure there wasn't delayed blitz or anything like that. Because again, we know Mike McDaniel is going to have delayed blitzes and, and all these various components going to throw at you. We've seen it in real time. Like we literally talked about his first half versus his second half, uh, where he got he got beat on a stunt early on in the game. Uh, it was a, a last game, and then, and then got better as the half went on. This game, he was really really strong, and yeah, it, it's a focal point of this Ravens defense, and it's caused headaches for for good offensive linemen all season. What was so impressive was that I felt like as the game went on, he just got kind of better. Like I mean, there there are reps he he, he loses. He doesn't lose very many. Honestly, he wins a, way more than he loses, um, which is very encouraging. But there were reps like where you were like, oh, yeah, like Clowney one time, like beats him with a swim inside. And it's he overset. He's, you know, it's usually your two kick slides. You're kind of le- reading to see what the guy's doing. And he did three. And kind of as soon as he gets past Clowney, he just breezes past him on the inside. And it's like, yeah, a little overset there. Like that's going to happen. Like nothing again that's like unteachable or anything like that. And that's probably always going to be like the, the point we keep coming back to with Jones, even if he does struggle at other times this season. Like there's going to be nothing with it. Like physically, Physically, athletically, explosively, flexibility, like all the tools you want are there. Now, lots of tackles have had all the tools before and prospect as prospects and didn't get there. So I'm not saying it's still a long shot because he was so raw, but I'm just encouraged by the fact that there's already been growth and he's barely played. That is clear to me. Like even from watching, like I said, last game to this game, just in terms of how he approached the game mentally and the things he was looking for and the confidence he felt looking for those things and executing his job still um there's a couple reps where it's not even perfect technically like the pass set falls apart kind of at the t- at the apex of the arc and he's just an athlete and he just like uses his length he uses his strength and he uses his athleticism and he pushes a guy wide up the arc and he just makes it work and i, I talked about that pretty much through his process, I think, as, as a prospect. And then, you know, before going into this matchup, I talked about it last week on the podcast, just like his ability to win, even when the situation is not ideal, when he doesn't always put himself in, in ideal situations with this technique. So that's great as long as the technique keeps developing. We're seeing some things start to grow and develop, and we're seeing him win without the perfect parts of his game in place yet. So encourage signs anything you thought like uh, thing main things that he needs to work on i i still have i have two things maybe that i'll mention briefly but what anything you, that jumped out to you about like okay here's what i want to see him do to take the next step the one you just mentioned uh, you mentioned twice now I, I do think he can overset and then can get beat on inside counters and of course now the more he plays the more defensive linemen are also studying his tape and identifying ways to beat him um i i think there were a couple times where yes he was on an island so he probably thought, all right, just, just keep the edge clean and maybe push the pass rusher beyond Kenny Pickett, um, and then I'll get my job done. But I do think there's a little bit of that, where I, if I was a savvy veteran edge rusher, I would say, right, I'm going to take a hard jab to the outside and then cut back inside, and I think I could win. So that was the one thing that I wrote down in terms of, you know, things to continue to work on and improve on. But you mentioned the recovery ability. I think, obviously, mostly tied to his insane athleticism, but I think he also looks like a pretty cerebral player and, like, is recovering – because as he gets out of position, I think he IDs that pretty quickly and knows what he needs to do to adjust in the middle of the snap. Like it's it, like he didn't look overwhelmed or when he was recovering, it wasn't like, you know, jerky or like jittery or it was like it, there was a calmness in his yeah. recovery from a bad step, which is which is saying a lot for, for a guy in his second game. 
I, that's a great point. It's hard to kind of describe that, but if you if you look at it, you know exactly what you're talking about. Like, there's a panic panicked body language to a player who yeah. like doesn't sure isn't sure of themselves. He looked sure of himself. Now, there's reps that that look rough for sure. There's reps that like you, there's still those reps where there's one play where he just like fires his hands way too early, and and uh, somebody knocks his, the rusher knocks his hands down and kind of gets around him. But again, even in those situations where some guys, as soon as you knock the hands down, they're done. Like you're not going to touch the defensive player again during the rep. Like if that happens, he's able to recover, get back, like kind of pick himself back up to full position and and get on a hip and ride that cat. Like he has those rare, like athletic gifts that are able to continually stay with blocks as a pass protector, even when things didn't go right early in the rep. And so it's a unique trade. It's kind of Tristan Wirfs did this honestly in Tampa Bay early on. Like he was, he hardly, he's been way more technical than, than Jones is coming out. He was way more pro ready uh, than Jones was, but they both kind of this ability that when they did kind of not have the best rep of their uh, other, of the game or whatever, they could still find a way to win just because their tools their length, their physicality, their quickness was so good still. Um, And Jones, it's what's been interesting to me already is seeing like this independent hand usage. If anybody follows Brandon Thorne on Twitter, he talks about that a lot, how it's important to not be firing out with two hands all the time as a pass protector. Uh, if you've watched Donovan Smith, he does this a lot. He's kind of goes for the kill all the time and it can end up looking pretty ugly at times. And sometimes you have to have that in your repertoire. Like Whitworth had it in his repertoire and he could win with that. There's been other guys over the course of the league that have had it and, and they could win with it. And Jones is going to be able to win with it. But what I like is that he can control things with one arm. That length is on display uh, for sure. I think he was just shy 35 inch arms. Uh, he was in like the 70, 75th percentile, something like that. Um, and the wingspan's good as well. So yeah, it, that to me stood out when watching him is that he really just knows how to use his length. He can strike with one hand and it's, it's it rocks a guy like it's not he his hands are anything but soft and with Dan Moore I'd say one of the biggest issues I have is he catches rushers constantly he's hardly ever initiating the blow he's hanging on for he's a hang on for dear life type of protector so when he loses it doesn't always look quite as ugly as he's kind of walked back into the pocket it's a slower loss sometimes and that's the kind of player he is there's going to be reps where Broderick loses quicker but he's going to have put up way more of a fight way more consistently rather than getting walked all over the place like Dan Moore did. So I don't know, Brad, I don't think he's losing this job. I think they might as well just keep riding with him. If Dan Moore is going to be out a month, you go into the bye week you get a full week to break it all down, <laughs> look through all of it. I, I think there's no point for him to lose this job. I would say one more thing um, from a run blocking standpoint is a minor negative when he's on the backside and not the play side um, he hasn't finished. He, he didn't finish a couple blocks in this game. And there yep. was one play where he had his guy engaged, probably, you know, moved him two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, but then kind of just let go and kind of gave up because like at that point, the play was five yards away, but the running back made a cut back inside and it, it fell right into the lap of his guy. Like ride that guy for five yards and pancake. I'm like, and you didn't see a lot of that at Georgia either. You know, that's not every player, you know, but, but like, that's one thing I'd want to see is when you're not play side, still have that mentality that you should be just trying to like literally land on top of the guy. There were one or two reps where I thought he disengaged, not because he couldn't have continued engaging. He just kind of thought the play was over. Um, and you never know. I mean, these guys are breaking tackles a ton. That, that was one more, I guess, minor negative, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't see a reason why he wouldn't start coming out of the bye. Okay. Good stuff on Broderick Jones. Let's talk about this run game just a little bit. I, I can't, I can't even understand what's happening here, Brad. Like how many times are we going to watch a concept with an unblocked defender by design of the play 
be this close to the play side concept and make the play. The guy that they leave unblocked by design makes the tackle against this run game an incredible percentage of the time. That should not be the case. That should only be the case when like something gets blown up front side and the guy has to stop and rewrap. That's not the case. The back and the concept for the play is starting on the side of the unblocked defender. I've just never seen this happen in the NFL. Like this doesn't happen in the NFL. Like it is so bad the way that this run game is constructed. All the inside zone stuff is just such trash the way that they run it. How close the back aligns pre-snap to the unblocked side of the formation and how little room he has for error. Not only is there like no clear defined gap, but oh, you also have to avoid this unblocked guy who's crashing down on you every single time, like in 0.5 seconds. It is just such a bad system across the board. It, it just people are like, oh, the offensive line's getting owned. I'm like, there's reps that it, it's bad by the offensive line. There are reps like that, but the concept, the structure is so bad. It's an unblocked player almost all the time. And that's why I did the Raiders game and did the YouTube video. I want people to see it is unblocked players and not unblocked because somebody missed an assignment. Most of the time it's unblocked because the, the actual construction of the play doesn't account for this player in the blocking structure. And that player is making the tackle an absurd amount of the time. And you just cannot have a successful run game with such brokenness before you even get to the player level. Like to, before we even analyze there, it's completely broken. It, it was funny. Cause I, it's another thing I wrote down is that I actually liked They had a lot of pre-snap motion in this game, particularly in the run game. And it was more effective, uh, you know, on a yards per carry basis, but there are multiple times, like four or five times that I know I wrote down where they're motioning a guy away from the play side of a run game. And then that is the guy who was unblocked and making the play. Like, Again, it's good to you know have misdirection, maybe you know, convince the defense to move the other side of the field, then have a guard pull to replace that player or do something to where you actually fill that gap after a guy vacates it. Like, yeah, there there are multiple times where Miles Boykin, who's probably the best run blocker of the receivers on the team right now, mm-hmm. is motioning out of the gap where the tackle was then made because the defender was unblocked. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, no, it feels like somebody's screwing up, but this is five weeks of it happening. I just don't like. I'm not. I, like I'm watching a play, I literally have a play pulled up my computer. Like right now, it's like end of third, end of third quarter, beginning of fourth, and it's just inside zone to the right, and the back is so they're running, so they're leaving the left edge defender unblocked. The back is aligned to the left. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. Like, or and he's not like Najee's not going right. Like at the snap, he's coming like straight downhill. So he literally runs right into the arms of the unblocked player, and I'm like. Like I know, you can't blame the work. players, right? Like you can't blame the offensive line, Najee, anyone. They, like the, the play was doomed before they snapped the ball. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody blocks the backside edge defender, which is on the front side of the concept, the backside of the blocking structure, and nobody blocks the backside linebacker. So there's two guys unblocked in the path of where Najee Harris is running the football, and I'm just like, this is an unwinnable concept. You cannot win pre-snap. You've lost. Like he would have to make two huge dudes miss to have this be a successful play. It just has no shot because the, the team is so poorly coached and so poorly designed. Like it, that, And that's where we keep coming back to over and over again. And where I, like, I know we talk about this a lot on the show, but like when you talk about the run game, yes, Mason Cole has losses he shouldn't have. Um, Herbig was way better this game. CML has been good since week one, honestly. There's a block here and there. He's not perfect. He's not an all pro, but he's a, definitely a, like a solid starting player you can win with in today's NFL. Like, it is pretty rare to me that the offensive line is just like guys getting blown up all over the place, and that's why they're losing. Like most of the time, the issues are Fryermuth when he was playing, obviously not 
uh, playing in this game. Um, uh, Allen Robinson as a poor blocker, conceptually what's happening on the play. Like they're not, they don't have blockers accounted for box counts. It could be, it could just be that nobody's blocking the guy that is closest to the play side to, to where the back is. And he makes it unblocked tackle as we're talking about here. Um, so all of those things add up. I don't think it's usually anybody other than Cole getting thrashed up front. Like, and that's the, 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 the major issue here. So, I think that group, although they are not elite, an elite group, is is good enough if everything else were were better. But the fact that it isn't means they get open to a lot of criticism, some of which at times can be fair, but overall is not the main problem. Um, and I think that's what is probably most – if I were going to pick one thing that's most lost on Steelers fans right now, I think most fans know Canada's bad. Most fans know Kenny Pickett's not played well. Like I think most fans get those things. But the thing that I think is most locked on them is just how broken – this run concept is and even these national analysts get on and saying these guys aren't physical they don't get after it up front against people that was the talk after the texans game tomlin added to it honestly with his worst press conference of all time like just talking about like them needing to be tough from physicality and practice and things like that and i look at the tape and i'm like i don't think that's an issue like this team like will come after you up front that's not the issue they got guys like herbig and siamalo and you know chooks has even done like now they have broader Jones and they're like, these guys will get after you. Like Mason Cole's not good, but he will absolutely get after you. So that's not an issue to me. Like the issue to me is just like, this is a train wreck conceptually and they're going to catch the blame for it until Canada's gone. Everyone's like, Oh, the same group is doing okay. You know, sans Mason Cole, hopefully, but the same group is doing pretty good in the run game. Like that don't oh, surprised. And we're going to be like, well, told you. It happens all the time. I know this this stat that p- the Yins No Ball fans are going to literally get turn the podcast off when I say again and again and again. But yeah, they're 31st now in yards before contact per attempt. 0.7 yards before contact per attempt. That is a scheme stat. That is a mm-hmm. does your run scheme and your play caller create yards before contact for the running back? And and it I was like this, like if you're going to have a, a gap or inside zone scheme, the number's probably going to be a little bit lower, although the Eagles are top of the NFL every single year. Mm-hmm. So that's not even necessarily true. Um, but yeah, like you said, like the offensive line is not perfect, but that is not a, our offensive linemen are getting blown off the ball stat. It is a, we are not creating, you know, like we're not, we're, we're not creating room for our guys. Um, and yeah, it's, they've been bottom five, like the last three years. It's just, it's the same thing over and over again. I just I'm not really sure where to go with analysis of the run game. After I did that video, I've like cut plays last this uh, the last game Texans game and then this game, and I've been like I could do another video on the run game. It's just gonna be more of the same things, and maybe after another week of this, I'll, I'll get new clips together and put out another video about nothing's changed in the run game in that way. Also, the people are gonna say like, well, last time didn't you guys talk about how some things have gotten better? Yes. What did we talk about? Counter right being a, something they needed to build toward. In the meantime, they ran three traps. They ran two or maybe it was three crunch. They ran crunch three times, which is kind of like a wham blocking scheme with a bunch of fold blocks in there as well. And uh, they ran a trap, like one single guard pulling trap twice, maybe in the last game. So I think there were five pulling plays um, where they ran in that game. And those plays generated most of their yardage. I don't think they ran any. Did they run any against Baltimore? I don't know if you guys. I don't think so. I don't think they pulled. The only time they pulled a guard was on a pass play that didn't work. And so. I think they went totally back to like doing all the things that hadn't been successful for them before, which is frustrating. I get conceptually, you can't like run crunch a hundred times every week. Like I understand that. And I know that they want to like be able to run at least the Ravens did give them a light box occasionally, although it would help if again, the side that they want to run to everybody was accounted for at least. (laughs) But um, I do think 
that they have to figure out ways to continue to incorporate polars and continue to build on that. When the run game expanded in concept, that's when it became successful. When it's small-minded and it's just inside zone, split zone, it really falls apart. This is just not a group that's good at that stuff. There's another issue that is purely play calling and nothing to do with the players. Okay, John, they lined up under center 24 times. How many times of those 24 did Kenny Pickett drop back to pass? Oh, it's lower than you're going to guess. <laughs> Zero. One. One time. They lined up under center 24 times and handed the ball off 23 times. And 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 he didn't even throw a, throw a pass. He Like, I don't even know if our charting has dropped back because maybe, I don't know. He didn't, no, he probably didn't hand the ball off, took yeah. a sack or something. Yeah, so it's like a defense sees you under center and goes, oh, they're running the ball. Okay, cool. Like, right. we're all going to tee off because they literally dropped back one time out of 24 under center snaps. Like, it's insane. It's It's legitimately insane. Yeah, and what are those numbers over the course of the season? I don't know if you have that or if you. Yeah, I'll pull it up. I'll okay, pull it calculate up. it. Fill some, some dead air. Yeah, I would be. I would be very curious about that. But that that those kind of tells are everything. Like when people talk about what makes a successful run game, it is almost always the ability to keep the other person off balance. And everybody, pretty much, who has a consistently successful run game across the NFL has a good run scheme that is diverse builds off of certain concepts they play mind games with the defense they run in situations you're not expecting them to run or you can't be they can't be they can't be predictive in terms of what they're going to do so it really it depends so much on the coach and so much on the design and how it's practiced i mean you can look at team after team after team and see offensive lines that are very similar to pittsburgh's in talent and in some cases worse than pittsburgh's in talent but the team is successful at what they're doing in the run game because conceptually they know how to attack a defense consistently and they're not leaving unblocked players to the side where the run is designed for. And all those things add up over time and they create a bad run game. I don't know if, is that enough time to give you this? Oh yeah, I got it. I'm ready to go. It's actually better, (laughs) a little better than I expected. Not not great. So they've lined up under center 80 times this season and they've dropped back 17 of the 80 times. So (laughs) it's not good. It's not good. When you said 80, I was hoping for like 30, like, right. Like, right. Right. 17. Uh, yeah. 17 times. So, oh my gosh. I don't know how many of those have been play action or not. I wonder. I mean, oh, it's so bad. I, part of me, and then, well, let's transition this in analysis of Kenny Pickett. I think the accuracy has been better the last couple of weeks. Like, I don't think he's like, the first two weeks, it was like, whoa, he's missing like wide open people. Like, that's really weird. Like, almost like it's so bad is an injury. Like, you just weren't sure what was going on. Like, the misses were so bad. He's not like perfect in that regard now, but like that to me is less of the issue. The biggest issue is the same stuff we've talked about, right? Panicking when his first read is there, complete lack of ability to move through progressions like in a peaceful manner at all. Like very panicky in the pocket. The movement in the pocket can be really unsound. Um, sometimes decision making, not so much throwing the ball into coverage, although that's happened too, but mostly it's um decision making is in turning down da- turn downs you know of, of of easy concepts and stuff, easy stuff that's there that was more of an issue actually earlier in the season i feel like i continually watch the tape the last three weeks and i'm like this offense is just so bad like there's just all genuinely nobody open on some of these plays and yeah he's panicking in the pocket and he's trying to get outside of structure too soon he's abandoning like pretty clean pockets and he could just slide and keep his eyes downfield but the problem is and i think this is something i didn't think about until this week let's picture yourself as kenny pickett you drop back to pass Almost every route returns to the quarterback, right? If almost every route is covered, there's really nothing changing about that picture, right? Like you don't have a guy continuing to run into a new, you know, vert, horizontally across the field into a new hole in the zone that you could slide and get to that. Like nothing about your picture changes. 
So as soon as you see everybody's covered, it's really difficult to know like what your plan B should be with the ball. Like you have your clear out route that's taken the safety, sometimes double covered. That's not an option for you. All the other routes are turned back to the ball and sometimes they're easily covered. Or your only option is like, okay, they're leaving this running back five yards from the line of scrimmage. Like he turns around, that's an option for me. I don't necessarily want to go to that. I'd like to be able to create something a little bit better. And so that's the process. I'm not saying it's always right. I'm not justifying the approach all the time. But I do think it's a little more understandable why you'd want to see what you can create because if you just played according to this offense, which is Pop Warner stuff in the pass route game, like you're not really going to get those big chunks very often. And I think he knows that and sometimes can get impatient with that and pass up stuff that's like easy stuff that's, yeah, not very explosive. It's not very dynamic. It's not what it should be. Um, and then other times they're genuinely like teams know, oh, if I'm in man coverage, like this route's breaking back to the football. Um, Almost certainly, I'm just gonna sit here and like to get and play like catch man basically down the field um, and sit on this route, and he doesn't have anything to do. Um, and the and also the uh, the degree to which they don't attack the middle of the field, whereas we'd say some quarterbacks, okay, first reason there, slide in the pocket, move in the right. pocket how you need to reset and find somebody over the middle of the field, like and and make a play in that area because you might not have the time to reset or the space to reset to get outside the numbers. There's just so little options in the middle of the field for the Steelers consistently because they don't attack that area very often as an offense that he really doesn't have those plan Bs very often in this system. So just a couple of things that I was thinking through as I tried to understand, like, what's going through his mind on these plays where he panics? Where are the receivers at? It was startling to me how how rare it is to see good options for him in the past game. Yeah, like when you're buying yourself time, you're waiting for a window to open up, but that's not happening. If there's no one on a on a on a horizontal route and they're all static, we're not waiting for anything. So yeah, he's probably thinking I either need to throw it away or scramble because no, nothing's going to develop over the course of this play. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, he hasn't been perfect. I think I think he actually had a couple of nice throws in this game. The whole shot to George Pickens, like you said, was a beauty. That also I think was my play, favorite play design of the end, maybe the entire game, by the way. You had a bunch left. You had pre-snap motion with Miles Boykin motioning to the right. Then you had play action back to the left. And Patrick Queen, if you watch the snap, he 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 sees the play action and stays up a little bit. If he had just dropped back immediately without the play action, I think he's probably in, able to get a hand on the ball. It goes right over his head to George Pickens. And if he had five more yards of depth, I think he tips it and it's not a completion. So because of all that trickery and everything, I think it, it freed up the, the throwing lane and that was, you know, maybe his best throw of the day and, and one of the mo- you know, the more explosive plays of the day as well. Other than that, it was mostly back shoulders to Pickens uh, yeah. down the field and Jalen Warren being an absolute wizard, which we'll talk about as well. Um, but Pickens, to me, like they just kind of fully bought into what he does really, really well. And they kind of built the offense out of it in this game. Will they be able to do that every single week? No, I mean, you're not going to live on back shoulder throws the way they did in this game every single week. Um but it was a big part of the game, and it needs to be a big part of things moving forward. When they see single-eye man coverage uh, on the outside, like they need to be more willing to take shots to him. Uh, just frankly, they don't call offensive pass interference very much in, the, in today's NFL. And when your offense is this bad, if you can get a DPI call, like just because you're throwing it down the field to a guy that physical that's going to battle for space and force corners to battle with him like that, I think you're just going to get calls. Like it's it's very similar kind of to Mike Evans in that there's like a physicality and a dominance to them down the field and in that vertical route tree, whether it's routes that come back to the quarterback uh, or routes that continue vertically on down the field. Like Pickens is kind of has that very similar traits and Pickens is better ball skills, I'd say, uh, more consistent ball skills, I'd say. But those are kind of like traits that you can hang your hat on on the, that plane um, where 
I think the Steelers could legitimately like have that as like, a, oh, what do we need when we need a big play? We need that. And it sounds simple. And hopefully it gets to offense, gets to a point where like that's not all they have. But it does seem like in the meantime, when things are struggling so much, that is one of the safest bets that they have in this system. So as long as things are the way that they are here, if it were another offensive coordinator and there were more options for them, I might would suggest other things. But given where they're at and what the options likely are, this needs to be like kind of a, a staple of what they do and they keep coming back to. Hey, it's Ravens week or it was Ravens week. Joe Flacco ran an entire offense on drawing DPI. So it's, you know, like it's, it, it, it can be uh, an element of your offense, whether you want and want that to be a repeatable skill or not. But yeah, I'll say another thing I, I'm beating the drum here as well, but on the back shoulder ball to George Pickens on the right sideline early in the second quarter, they again had Calvin Austin run pre snap motion. Kyle Hamilton cheats inside from like the number to the hash mark. And then again, Kenny rips it right away. And I think you would have gotten it over him regardless, but like, they're clearing throwing lanes. And Kenny, look, if he's confident in a throw, I think he clearly has confidence in George Pickens now to win a one-on-one matchup. But if he has no concern about the the, the throwing window being, um, you know, potentially obscured by a defender in the second level, like he's going to uncork it. And yeah, like he's going to win. Pickens is going to win a lot of those. I know you talked about, you know, he started off the year like pretty poor on contested catches. We, we already saw the positive regression uh, in that manner in this game. Yeah, I, I'm not really encouraged by Pickett at this point, I feel like, but this was the, there were some times where he looked just so lost in this game too. Um, you know, there's plays I could forgot in that regard too. So I'm not really encouraged yet, but I'm not as, uh, I wouldn't say like I'm as totally concerned as I was weeks one and two, where I was like, this guy might not even be able to play like the way he looks right now. Um, now I feel like, yeah, I don't know if he can lead a successful offense, but I also feel like I'm, waffling consistently back and forth between which aspect of this thing is the worst. Uh, I actually, that's not true. I know Matt Canada's offense is the worst aspect of it, but it is, you are kind of like, can you, what percentage of blame could you parse to pick it? This is where it gets tough as an analyst. You almost have to use your imagination. Like this is the worst offensive football by design. And so, and I might include college ball, honestly, in that. So is it fair to be like super – I mean, is that fair to say? I feel like that's kind of fair to say. I don't say. know. I'm like, wearing a Vanderbilt polo over here, so I don't I don't know. <laughs> I feel like... offense... Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's a good point. I just uh, – I don't know how much is fair to criticize him, and I am I want to say that he's you know unplayable and that the team needs to move on from him and that you know he's clearly not the guy quarterback – Certainly those thoughts are in my head. I don't necessarily blame people for those thoughts if they have them. It's been far more bad than good. But I part of me is just like, ah, I wish we would just be able to see him in like a real system. You know, I don't want to bank on that going into next year if that's what it comes to. And we'll get all, all that stuff down the, the road. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself thinking about that. But that that's where the analysis gets very tricky with him. Like what if you got him in a system that like was one of these top young offensive minds in the league that just you've seen take these quarterbacks who are, who are, who are good or better than Pickett's ever been in the NFL, but certainly Pickett, you could see a path physically gifted wise where he could be as good as some of these players like a Jared Goff and players like that. Um, but right now it's not happening for him. And I, I wonder how much of that is just like the fact that he is this completely backwards, um, overly simplistic um, from a defense perspective, like overly simplistic to defend offense is just making things so much harder for him as a quarterback that like, we're not really able to see the growth or the steps that you would be able to see. I, all those things are fair to consider. It's just impossible to know from our vantage point, like what else he might be capable of outside of this con man's offense, to be honest. <laughs> 
No, it is. It's always impossible to parse. Like, where does the blame or the credit lie for certain situations? You mentioned the accuracy and maybe almost wondering if he was hurt or something. I thought he got a better velocity on the ball in, in this game as well. And I think part of that, honestly, was confidence is more more so than like, I don't know, he was stepping in the throws. I think there was, which again, I guess could be confidence. But yeah, I think the issue is like he could be a great quote unquote first read quarterback, you know, like a, you know, Brock Purdy, whatever. But if you're not scheming up for open first reads at that level, then we don't even know. Um, you know, I still think there were, there are some issues of seeing the whole field and, mm-hmm. you know, I think they do a decent job of cutting the field in half on a lot of concepts in this game and, and kind of simplifying things for him to a degree. But yeah, I, I thought there were building blocks, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't a great performance, you know, by any means. Anybody else you want to touch on an offense? We've talked a little bit about Warren. I guess we could talk a lot about, a little bit more about him. Unbelievable in this game, obviously made some of the biggest plays of the game, just self-create stuff. Um, the hurdle was unbelievable. The stiff arms, the way he runs, like everything about his game. I absolutely love. If he learns to protect the quarterback, he could be an every down back. He could be a feature guy. I think he'd be a thousand yard rusher, 400 yard receiver, you name it. Like he's capable of a lot of stuff um, because he's good. If he ever got in a, a good system and he learned how to protect the quarterback, those are the, th- so the protection thing is, an issue um, because Najee's pretty good at it, I think. And Warren is not like it. I don't know if it's a technical thing, a size thing. Like he ducks his head for sure. He tries to throw shoulders at guys. It could be a coaching thing. I don't really know like what, what the issue is. Cause he's certainly not, it's not a lack of physicality. We know that like the dude absolutely loves to hit people, but I am just a little bit uncertain as to like what's causing the degree of issues that, he's having because it doesn't seem like it's a consistent thing. Like he, he does duck his head. He consistently sees guys, I feel like, but he just has trouble like latching and sustaining blocks, I think. Yeah. Which again is why guys don't get on the field. I mean, like everyone's up in arms about Jameer Gibbs and in Detroit for one example, like those guys aren't going to play if they can't be relied on to protect the quarterback. And and yeah, there are some bad reps, no question about it. And and Najee is good in that regard. He has some great blocks too, though. So it's probably just a consistency thing. Like you said, I think he says it, or sees it, I think it probably is more of a size thing, which, you know, it is tough. But I guess on the you mentioned the hurdle play. I mean, that was 21 personnel. You had Najee in the backfield and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, Warren lined up on the left side, gets the jet sweep handoff, not only hurdles the, def- the defender, in one step then spin moves Kyle Hamilton out of his shoes, like right after landing from the, the hurdle. So, yeah, I mean, he, he can make dudes miss in space uh, at a very impressive rate, both as a pass catcher and a runner. I, yeah, I'm down for more 21 personnel, at least while, you know, they're missing Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson, because I think it just adds an element to the offense where if they were both in the backfield, which I don't think happened in this game, but then maybe Najee could be the blocker and and Warren can leak out or, or run, a, you know, a, a choice route or a Texas route or something um, and, and find space. But yeah, the, the pass block thing is, is an interesting question. I mean, he's been in the NFL long enough where I, I think it is more of like a size issue than a, than a you know recognition issue. Yeah, that's he's just uh <laughs> he's such an interesting player in general because he's the kind of player that will be a fan favorite for sure. Like no matter where he was would be, he would be a fan favorite. In Pittsburgh, the guy like that just gets absolutely like people love him. And I I love his game. I think honestly, if you ask me who's been the best player in the Steelers offense this season, I would probably say Jalen Warren. Um, and you know, I know the bar is maybe not that high, but I would say like he's been the best probably. Uh, Pickens has certainly had his moments. Ciamalo has been good as well. But um, overall, that is the one thing holding him back. And, you know, 
I don't know how many people in Pittsburgh would argue that Najee's a better player. And I've said, I don't think Najee's the main issue. I don't think he's like the biggest problem with this team or the run game or anything like that. I think he's a fine player. I think he could fit in any backfield. He's going to play for 10 years. Like as long as his health holds up, like all that stuff to me is not a problem. Like, but if Najee Harris is your feature running back, you're just going to be missing something. If things are off the table, certain creases and holes up front are off the table because of the lack of acceleration and, 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 quick movement that he has that Warren does possess. So Warren is kind of clearly better to me. I just, um, I, I, and again, that's not really that big of a knock on Najee. I just think Warren's really good, but the pass protection stuff will be um, what has to sort itself out. I think for sure. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to touch on anything else in your notes? No, that was, we, we got to it all. Okay, good. Well, before we get out of here, last thing I'll ask you on offense, who do you feel like, is the player that needs to be sat down the most that needs to be replaced basically the most they they got to get out of there the most out of the group that's let's say the group yeah. that started last week so we'll take Dan Moore out of it who do yeah. you got to get out of there the most well we'll take Mason Cole out of it as well I think we've made that point well I was I was gonna say I'm, Allen Robinson but we've, we've also made that point at yeah, well, I thought Look, I mentioned Miles Boykin. Like he he made a couple of nice blocks in this yeah. game. That's all you're asking yeah. him to do. And I thought he was fine in that regard. So yeah, it's probably my my guy, A Rob. It's pretty brutal with A Rob right now. Uh oh. I know we got to get out of here. I'll say Mason Cole. It's reached a point where there's no defense. Like he was so bad in this game once again, still getting steered in the backfield on run concepts, getting beat on pass concepts. That has to change. Herbig played better this game. I'm not saying he's perfect, but I'd rather find out with James Daniels at center and Herbig at right guard tackles his chooks and broderick and obviously see them all in there that's the five i want to roll with moving forward so it'll be interesting to see if they make this change coming to the bye week we'll be perfect back five week timing right per- perfect timing this is it that's why i <laughs> mentioned it and we'll be back maybe we'll talk defensive side we'll do some q a's later this week uh to wrap things up for the week uh going into the bye week so appreciate y'all thanks so much for listening subscribe rate review check us out we appreciate y'all thanks so much for listening to another episode of the yins no ball podcast Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.